0: Hi, I'm Dorian Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Because life isn't just about survival, it's about thrival. We live in a time of unprecedented uncertainty and disruption, hit like a monumental, uncontrollable tidal wave by the coronavirus global epidemic. Both the virus and the panic are equally contagious. How do we navigate this unprecedented landscape? and unfamiliar landscape, is there any truth in the Chinese symbol of crisis also meaning opportunity? And if so, what are these opportunities? How do we not let this challenge, crisis, or even some suffering go to waste? To deal with these important questions and to help us see our light through them and grapple with them, it's my great pleasure to Welcome Mark Barnes to the studio with me on Thrive with Dr. D. Mark Barnes is renowned, respected and recognized business person in South Africa, having held leadership positions in many major financial institutions in the past 30 years. These include Alexander Forbes, the Standard Bank Group, Standard Corporate and Merchant Bank, Capital Alliance Holdings, Great South Africa, and the purple group and it was really interesting and i remember caused quite a stir when mark put up his hand to contribute to the future success of the young democracy in the role of ceo of the south african post office an unusual offer indeed He is well known as a commentator on current business and economic issues and has a regular opinion piece published in South Africa's leading business publication, as well as being a regular TV personality. If you know Mark, you know that he talks tough, he actually is tough, but there's another side of Mark as well, that he keeps well hidden sometimes, but it comes out to play on occasion. (laughs) It does, Mark. And I think that it's, that's actually the reason why you're here. Thrive with Dr. D is a show about people and a show about their lives and about coping with issues that we all have to deal with mostly every day, but now we've got really, really huge challenges. And it was because of the sensitivity and obvious empathy that you display in all of your writing and I believe in your dealing with people. You don't separate the business from the person. I mean, you do, but you also deal with them in a particular kind of way that it was, I thought it would really be interesting to hear your take and listen to some of your ideas about how we go ahead with coping with what we all are in together, this huge challenge now, and what you think that we can get out of it. So welcome.
1: Dr. D, or Diane, as I know you more fondly, it's a great pleasure to be here. And thank you for inviting me onto your show. Look forward to our chat.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, Mark, the first thing is that we know that the virus and panic are equally contagious. And I think people try their best to kind of look at it from what they think is a reality perspective but then with all of the onslaught of media you can't listen to turn on or hear anything else other than information of the coronavirus some of it seems hype some of it seems fake but a great deal of it probably 99 percent of it is true and it's horrific and people don't know how to respond what was your take on that
1: well, you know, first of all, I think we're all in a state of mild panic most of our lives, except this time we're allowed to be. So it sort of bursts out of you, and you, you're allowed to uh, get into a state of our things. There's, there's reason to be in a state of our things. There is absolutely no reason to panic, because panic feeds, adrenaline feeds disaster. Okay. What we need is quite the opposite. We need calm, we need facts, we need... Uh, you know, empirical evidence and, you know, the strange thing about the market, which is the world that I operate in, is, is that they will start turning positive on declining bad news before the good news comes. And I think we're really starting to see that. But it is going to be hectic. We are going to be scared. And in fact, the medical threat that faces that us is not as severe as more people die of influenza every year than are going to die of this. Uh, of this epidemic, okay, or this pandemic. But the fear of of being isolated, of being labeled, of being put in the corner, those are the sorts of things with which we are not accustomed. And so I think we're all going to find ourselves in a state of extraordinary introspection. And I don't think that's such a bad thing, actually. We wander around with reference points, for the most part, that aren't real. You know, we wander around and we judge ourselves and our, our performance and our success in life by things like money. Let me dwell on money for a while, because in the presence of illness, money becomes trivial, beyond the point. Okay, so I mean, money. My fear of money is that the marginal utility of money, for example, it is reached long before you realise it. An extra ten rand doesn't mean nothing. So, Mark, can uh, I just
0: stop you there for one minute, and then we'll go yeah. back to this, because yeah. if I might say, I think that you are talking to a kind of privileged audience where we don't have to worry about that 10 rand and there is time when we self-isolating to say okay you know let me do a self-audit if you like but we also talking to the millions of people who do have to worry about that 10 rand and they don't have the luxury of kind of looking inwards because they're worried about where that they're not getting a salary and where their next meal is coming from.
1: So, well, let me we get let me get to the next point on the ten rand, which is which is this. If, however, you've got ten rand too little, it's the end of the world. Yeah. And so, the value of money is measured by its absence, not its presence or abundance. Okay. But yes, there's going to be so many dividers in this crisis. There's going to be economic inequality, which significantly divides how we are going to deal with this uh, with this pandemic for example you know i opened the fridge this morning got some fresh orange juice out ate some fresh food in a clean environment if you don't have a fridge you can't preserve the food if you don't have you know sanitary conditions which are you know which are and viral free you are in a completely different world and if you look at the density of population as it is split in South Africa, between those have and those who don't have, we have very, very significantly different problems, uh, you know, in Shantan than we would have in Kailitsha or Dipshirt or wherever. It's that control environment which we have to focus on as the kernel of being able to deal with this disease. And all of the internal things that people are going to be going through personally when they're sitting with nothing in front of them to do, yeah, you know, I can remember the age-old sort of status, which is which wives say about their retiring husband. I married him for this, I married him for that, but I didn't marry him for lunch. Yes, for yeah. better or for worse,
0: but not for lunch, please. <laughs> for for please, lunch. yeah. And
1: so we love going home, but not if it's on purpose. Yeah, we love. And if being you can't step
0: out, yeah, we yeah. love
1: being on holiday, but not if it's on purpose. Yeah,
0: no, it has, no, to, it has to be, be our to choice. Be. In other words, yeah. And yeah. so
1: when you are forced to sit at home, it turns what is usually. A comfortable thing, a place you go to to rest, it turns it into a burden because the distractions of our life, everyday lives take us away from our problems. You get to the office and you could be worrying about your sick daughter at school or whatever, but you sit down and you've got a problem to deal with and a meeting to go to. Right. When that's all absent. Right. Then you have to okay, reflect so on yourself.
0: I want to talk about that kind of reflection and unpack it in much more detail okay. in a moment. Let yeah. me just step back because there were a couple of um, of really important points in what you said, I think that what you're saying is that depending on personal circumstances, usually to do with how you're living, there's a huge difference, of course, but also in how does that manifest in human behavior? Because what we have been seeing is that that amazing thing that I think that we've all learned so much from over the years in living in South Africa, and I'm talking about the spirit of a which people kind of generated even in the most dire of circumstances. There still was that care, that consideration, the recognition, the compassion, the kindness, the availability that was often displayed and conveyed to other people in difficult circumstances. And what I'm hearing and seeing a lot is that that is manifesting now. Now, People are stepping up. They're asking how they can help asking how they can make a contribution for those people who've been on the roads they even saying things like the traffic does seems to be different not only in terms of less but in terms of giving way and accommodation and it seems to be underscored by this feeling of well it's not only me or you we are all in this together and therefore there's a connection I understand what you're going through because it's also me and my family. But the question that I want to ask you is, it can bring out the best, but maybe also bring out the worst. Yeah. When there's scarcity, real scarcity of medical supplies and food, yeah. what does that do?
1: Well, you know, I mean, Ubuntu is is our lifeblood, actually. It has to be. We have done so many extraordinary things in this young democracy of ours that we often don't reflect on, and Ubuntu is one of them. And we, as ordinary people in the street, like each other more than we seem to do on platforms. Okay, Mm. That's the first point. The second point is that we have common cause now. One of the defining necessities of us coming together in 1994, of us hosting the Soccer World Cup, all of these things were great successes because we found common cause. Common cause has been lacking of late. And we've now got common cause, if you like, common enemy. And when that's the case, you tend to hold hands, despite the fact that we're not allowed to do that anymore, you tend to hypothetically hold hands and and want to look after one another and want to show the world that indeed this rainbow nation is alive and well. So that's the first thing. The fact of the matter is that this, this disease, this threat, could also divide us even more because of the already significant difference in economic circumstances, access to medical care, and all of those good things. And as much as we all want to help, there are lines being drawn around each other which are not permeable anymore. And so it's going to be an enormous challenge for us to try and find a way to hug each other, uh, hypothetically, and help each other through all of this. And I think everyone has stood up. Everyone's stood up and said, how can I help? Uh, But it's common cause, Uh, Dr. D. It's common cause that that are going to make us succeed. And for once, we have one thing to focus on, which is not each other and our differences, but each other and our common purpose. Mm. And that's going to help. And I think when it all comes down to it, when you look around this country and all of its natural blessings, we see what we've got to lose. But actually, I think it gets beyond the crowd. I think it becomes very personal. As much as you find yourself in this warmer traffic in this more consoling world you also find yourself reflecting on what you are
0: you wrote about that um i've sent out an article about that that in Mm -hmm. fact you know you can look um it's time to take stock Reevaluate your goals. Where have I been? Where am I going? How do I want to spend my energy from now on? And that's a luxury. We audit our companies. We often work from the outside in. We should, we must, we've got to, we ought to, we have to. There's a deadline, good, bad, right, wrong. We very seldom stop and say, just breathe and say, what is the beat of my own inner drumbeat? And now there's the opportunity to do that. So let's talk about that because I know that you've got... Yeah,
1: yeah, so, you know, when you're confronting your own mortality, however remote that might be, you you know, I've often asked myself, what would I do if I had to sign for another 10 years of healthy life or take a risk on, you know, an unknown quantity? And if I were to sign for a particular period, how would I change? Would I change? Am I the product of the perceptions of other people? Do I spend my life pleasing other people, succumbing to standards for which I have no great respect, you know, bowing to uh, temples of other people's making, living in places, dressing in certain ways, making myself up in a way that makes me acceptable to societies the purpose of which I've already forgotten. You know? And as I have moved in my career from you know, being very successful in financial services to being involved in something like the payment of social grants at the post office, working with investment bankers to working with postal workers, all of these things have become ever more present as debates in my mind, and nothing is certain anymore. Okay. Mm.
0: Can I ask you, I just want to ask you, what made you As a really successful business person, riding the crest of the wave, doing very well in all of the traditional measures of success, power, money, status, recognition, what made you at that point of your life put up your hand and say, I'm going
1: to the post office? What was it? Well, it was a strange thing and it's not well known. I've made a lot of mistakes in my business career despite the the apparent successes. And most of those mistakes were made by following uh, conventional wisdom or by doing what I thought was acceptable. Or, And I wanted to see what happened if I did exactly what I want to do all day. And if I made judgment calls. And to do that, you have to walk into a space that needs help, okay? And you have to, you know, let me give you some examples. You know, when I, when I walked into the post office, Failure was a refuge. Failure was a place people went together to protect themselves. Success wasn't even contemplated. And so, you know, what we tried to develop there was the prospect of economic dignity instead of the protection of failure. Hmm. And fundamental things like this, which I thought about a lot, I went to the post office not so much to deliver mail, but to address inequality to providing access to financial services and other things and, and onboarding you know, services for a capable state. But when I got there, I went there to teach. My first love is teaching. I went there to teach and I ended up learning. And that's mm-hmm. the simple fact of it. When you sit and you speak to very ordinary people at their desks, in their shoes that clearly need to be replaced and it's cold and it's winter, and you try and figure out why they're still there, you start understanding dimensions to our society, which are very different from the, the places that I walk, you know, walked about in successfully. Mm. And so I went there to see what would happen, to see whether I, could, whether I could be completely straightforward. Because when you walk into a mess, you pretty much get given cart blanche to do what you have to do. You know, they often ask me, do you think you'll be acceptable there as a, you know, as a white businessman, all of these kinds of things. I said, well, I've come to help. Mm. I haven't come to, and we were embraced by everyone eventually. We taught, we, we embraced people, we listened, we included people. We had a strategy session where if you hadn't said something in the first hour, you were asked to leave the room. We, we, we dispersed judgment. We did all sorts of experiments, human experiments mm. with a business that turned out to make people put their uniforms back on again and feel a bit of pride and dignity. Mm. And that is at the core of changing our uh, very unequal economic society is giving people aspirant feelings about their own personal achievement. And so that isn't what I went to go and do. I went to go and just see if I could fix it. And I ended up finding that that's how you fix it. It's Mm. not about the numbers. Mm. And so it was an extraordinary experience in that way. And that's Affected some of my thinking. It, you, you can't you can't be unaffected by dealing with twenty thousand people instead of eight people in a boardroom. You mm-hmm. can't be unaffected by it. You know? mm-hmm. And so uh, and so that's affected some of my thinking. I think that uh, and and the extraordinary embracing of knowledge that I found that was previously denied people. Uh, you know, I sat with the unions and we worked through the income statement and the balance sheet on a blackboard until we all understood it. And that is what enabled us to reach peace on increases of all of those kinds right. of things, because we shared common knowledge.
0: It was a very, very f- important, doesn't even begin to cut it, but, I mean, fundamental learning, visceral learning, through yeah. experience that you went through. And, I mean, I hope that you're have docu- documenting this in some way or another. But I want to ask you, going back to what we're dealing with now, can you bring those lessons and some of that understanding to bear in any way with imparting kind of wisdom and knowledge or even action to what we are all going through now?
1: I think first of all, we have to have common knowledge. And so the dispersion of knowledge is vital. Understanding this disease and understanding it empirically and medically, you know, and the statistics. I mean, there are more people, uh, you know, if we paid as much attention to the murder rate in the Cape Flats, we might make progress there as well. Mm. Uh, but, but but we first got to deal with the medical uh, knowledge so that people know and don't get scared. Okay, so we're about...
0: Getting reliable facts regarding the illness and regarding, especially regarding your behaviour and the prevention of it.
1: Yeah, so you need people to know know. and to feel confident about coming forward, and we need to make absolutely sure that there are no divisions that this thing causes further divisions because they
0: could be they could be politicizing they could be blaming they could be almost kind of one shudders but it could be Hmm. almost xenophobic kind of behavior
1: all of that racism xenophobia i mean economic classification access to the things that already divide us that we're starting to grapple with coming together on can be made all the more stark by
0: the presence of the state right right okay? so you we 've highlighted the importance of knowledge we 've spoken about the fact that nothing joins people more connects people than a kind of shared emotional event, and yeah. it has the potential for unity and compassion And it also has the potential For divisiveness And yeah. and separation The kind of isolation part That we were talking about Is when you're on your own You don't have the routine You don't yeah. even have the connection Hopefully you do have the possibility In a removed way Through technology Not everybody does But through technology And I believe that we are wired For connection up to a point Uh, So the importance uh, of maintaining that, what are the lessons through the isolation that you want to highlight and the opportunities?
1: So, I mean, first of all, you better start telling yourself the truth about yourself because it's just you in the room. And this might be a period where you finally get to like yourself by comparing yourself to your value system, by comparing yourself to your emotional, natural feelings, by comparing yourself to things that you love and things that you don't. And instead of having a set of standards and metrics outside of your own very personal ecosystem, you can start talking to yourself and evaluating yourself. I can tell you for free that most people, if they are deeply honest, will find that they like themselves underneath all of those things that other people judge them or that other standards are prevailing on. And so you've got a chance. You've got 21 days and nights. It's a long time to sit there and go, okay, Mark, who the hell are you, man? And you know, how much of this have you been pretending? And how much of this are you scared of? And how much of this isn't true? And if you find yourself Casting aside all of those things which you've put on for others and finding your core, then no matter how many friends you shed in that process, you will gain real ones. Mm. And that's the choice we face now. Very really seldom in our lives get a chance to go control alternate, delete. I don't like where this program's mm. going. Okay? Mm. And so we've got that chance now. We've got the chance to go sit on your own. For 21 days a hell a long time, eh? And you are got to sit there. And you better find out who you are. And you better talk to yourself about it and convince yourself about it and accept it. This is about acceptance, Mm -hmm. Joanne. This is about personal acceptance. Okay, Mm -hmm. Because I can promise you, if you don't find your own good company good, then you've got a real problem, mm. which, will, you know, which will come back after the 21 mm. days. What Can I suggest
0: something on what you've said? Because I don't want to lose the point. Like you might yeah. discard certain friends and make others. Don't yeah. you think that it's also the opportunity? Because what you're talking about is the kind of authentic vulnerability authentic yep. vulnerability for connection which requires a lot of courage and it requires courage even when you're sitting by yourself because it yeah. means questioning all of these things which you absolutely kind of embraced and believed to be true but now you're saying now that I've done everything I thought I should do or I wanted to do why am I not feeling fulfilled or master yep. of the years? it's got to be something different. so you, you kind of do that. Self, that what you're talking about And you come to realizations. Now, I'm asking you, don't you think that if you share yourself, and I might say that you've done some of that right now, you know, on this podcast um, with vulnerability, that the friends that you had probably would be even closer, wouldn't scuttle away most and would say oh what a relief i know that you're not good at everything i know you don't like everything i know you feel scared sometimes i know that you've had to question um, all of this that you don't feel on top of. i know that you might have been the ceo of a huge company but you don't deal with all your relationships properly and there've been issues in your life that aren't clean with you and you haven't come to terms with. And then when okay. people hear this, they mm. become more connected to you. They don't leave. Okay.
1: So so your friends will become closer friends. But you might discover that others were fickle friends. Mm. Okay. But let me say a couple of things. First of all, let me, let me say this. Something I've, I've believed in forever. Vulnerability is the source of all power. Mm. Once you get down to your core, you become in a sense, invincible from attack because you are at your essence. And from that is the only position from which you can build. I need you... Uh, you, you, you. There are a couple of things I'd like to say. First of all, you talked about people knowing you and knowing your flaws. I can tell you that there is nothing more endearing or uh, uniting than our mutual flaws. Mm. I mean, there's nothing better than to find each other's flaws acceptable, okay? Because, I mean, there's a famous line in that song by Leonard Cohen anthem which says, there's a crack in everything, mm. but that's how the light gets in, mm. okay? There's another thing that I'm trying to work towards here, which is truth, you know. I can, I can remember, uh, to quote another example, Al Pacino in of a Woman in the speech that he makes in that closing scene where he says, I, I, I always knew what was right, Without exception, but I never did it because it was too damn hard, mm. okay? And so we have an opportunity now to reset those things, to draw a line behind uh, those things which we never get time to focus on in the hustle and bustle of our everyday lives and to go and ground ourselves, at least to some extent. You know, I'm not saying everyone's going to reach an epiphany, but you can you can go through some sort of internal Kenji is too strong a word. You, you can go through some sort of conversation with yourself, fight with yourself if you need to do that. So when you merge, you go, like, I didn't waste that time, that threat. It's true that every crisis is an opportunity. You, you spoke about that earlier. And I think it is true. And I think our leadership has stepped up to this crisis. Our president has stepped up to this crisis and demonstrated leadership which we were all been looking for so desperately. Mm. Okay. And so this crisis, we shouldn't waste it, Diane. We should sit there and we should go, okay, so I'm stuck alone. I mean, I'm, uh, my, I don't live with my kids, my boys, and I'm organizing a picnic because we're not going to see each other for a while after that. And you know, I don't know what we're going to be able to condense into that small space, but we're going to do something that why the hell don't we do it all the time? Mm. Okay, so we're going to create exceptional engagements and exceptional social media discussions and exceptional desires and wants and absences and love and all of that sort of stuff, which is forced upon us, but perhaps should be part of our everyday lives anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's going to be the
0: challenge of how to harness some of these lessons to improve our present Mm -hmm. and our future going forward. When we get out of this, which we will, but just to remember. um, And I think that if we, if we engage with it in the way that you're talking about now, Mm -hmm. The awe of it, in a sense, will become part of us. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. you can't just leave it behind. I don't know.
1: No, i also listen, There are going to the other side. The negatives to this: eh? stuck in a room, in an unhappy relationship, can either solve it or completely destroy it. Mm. You know? and but it point. also might make, make
0: you look at that. I mean, there you are. You know, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. And you, you've you got to examine that and then come to terms with it. We are either going to address the obstacles in a way that we've never had the courage to do before. Because people say, you say to people, well, what have you done about this relationship? And they say, they look at you and they say, what do you mean? I say, but, we you know, how have you addressed it? And they say, well, we stayed. You know, we had the issue six years ago, four years ago, two years ago, and we're still here. But they confuse staying and trying, if you put in the same ingredients, which you are able to do, when you're not in isolation and have got so many distractions, well, you, you know, like it now you can't.
1: Yeah, but this is an opportunity. You're stuck in the same room. Exactly, exactly. So this is an opportunity to take a step towards that middle ground, which is so infrequently visited between people, particularly couples, okay? Be the first to take a step towards the middle. You'll be surprised how much, that mm. gives you, mm. okay? And so I think you're going to be stuck at home. And after a while, you're going to realize that this isn't going away. Okay, It's against the law to leave. You may as well stay for a bit longer after supper before you go and watch TV. You mm. may as well look across the table and ask some difficult questions. And if that ends up in a fight and in tears, it might just be the beginning of, it, of a healing process. Exactly. You know? okay? Exactly. So, Cleaning the space. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, you leave for the office the next morning or whatever it is that you do, or the kids make a noise, and they're going to be making lots of noise. I don't know how we're going to do it. Dealing with the kids is going to be a hell of a thing. Mm -hmm. But all of that stuff, we've got a choice now, Diane. facing this reality, this this enforced reality, if that's not an oxymoron, Mm -hmm. okay, that we can choose what we want to do about this. We can sit there longing for it to pass, or we can engage with it, and we can say, well, what is it? And, and we can read those books we should have read and we can write those things we should have written and we can make those phone calls that we that we never find time for. And we can see whether we can get something out of this threat. Mm. And that's our choice. And that's what, you know, I hope we all try and do, you know, because uh, it hopefully won't come again. And if, if you just come out of this the other side... The same as you ever will. Last opportunity. You wasted an yeah, opportunity,
0: of man. Of course. Look, Mark. I can hear, and I'm sure everyone else can too, how passionately you feel about this. That you know what you're saying. You comes from deep inside you. You've clearly given this a lot of thought personally. You're not going to let this crisis, you know, go to waste for sure. I think that you're on the road as well. And I think that what you're saying, what occurred to me as you were saying is that although we are out of control, we're not. We're out of control, but in control. We've never been so out of control. We're the ones who think that we're in the driver's seat of our lives and that we create our own circumstances if we don't like the circumstances. And as Jordan Belfort said, if the circumstances suck, then create new ones. This time you can't create new circumstances, but what you jolly well can create is what we've been talking about, and that is your response to them. And so what we're saying is, for goodness sake, you know, don't let the opportunity. Go to waste. Be kind. Be compassionate. Try not to to allow the kind of downside and the overwhelming, overflowing, and spilling out of wow. panic that might happen on the other side, you yeah. know. And uh, use it. And Mark. You know, it was crazy, really. I mean, people said to me, who's going to be your guest on the show? Which eminent psychologist, you know, who's written many, many textbooks? And I just said to them, just wait and see. I'm going to have the consummate human being.
1: Uh, Not the well, GSMC, really So, so thank
0: you me. very, very, very much for all of that. And thank I you. look forward thank to you. it. Thank you, Mark. Okay, thank you.
1: Okay.
0: Sure. Okay. Well, I think that there's a lot, a lot in that. Thank you so much, Mark Barnes. And yeah, uh, it
1: was very cool talking <laughs> to you. You know, I mean, these things are just coming out of me because you know, I'm old. You know, I'm thinking.
0: Uh, you know what, they're coming out of you because you've, well, you've done a little bit of your okay. own vulnerability journey. Yeah. And I think that you live more than most of us by, okay. by the by the saying, I'm going to say, you know, what other people think of you is none of my business. Mark, no. you you're kind of a bit of the epitome of that. So thank you very, very much. You've been listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast. We look forward to welcoming you to further episodes go well and use the opportunity thanks everybody stay safe i'm dorianne wheel thanks for listening to thrive with dr d a jackpot podcast